We'll get an update from, from Mike and Cheryl on their trip the week after Easter. So prepare for that during the, the service the week after Easter. Well, as I said, today is, is Palm Sunday. We are going to finish the book of Revelation. We're going to finish the book of Revelation, Lord willing, uh, the end of our series uh, today. We're going to do the last chapter of the Bible. <laughs> so the whole Bible. Uh, I don't know how many chapters are in the entire Bible, but we're doing the very last one, which is Revelation chapter 22, 1 through 21. Uh, we began this year, 2019, with a, a series in Genesis, Genesis 1 to 3. That's the very beginning of the Bible, the very start of the Bible. And now we're doing the very end of the Bible, doing the last four chapters. And today we finish it off. Uh, so we've done the bookends, in a sense. And I think it's important to see the way it begins and the way it ends and how the two actually are pretty closely tied, uh, tied together. Uh, so we'll finish up before Easter. That was the plan, to hope to finish up. I had to fit a lot in this morning because last week was a pretty short sermon. We had Teen Challenge, who did an outstanding job, obviously. Uh, but So today we're going to do the entire 22nd chapter. Um, and then next week, of course, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Christ from the dead. Well, today, as I said, celebrates Palm Sunday, which is a recognition that Jesus is King. Um, we talked about in the beginning how Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, which demonstrated his humility and his fulfillment of the prophecy that he's the Messiah. Well, here, as he comes again at the end of time, uh, he is recognized as the King of all. The king of the universe. And the question is, are we ready for it? Are we ready for it? He's coming back as king. Uh, no one knows the day or the hour. And no one knows the year or the decade or the century. We don't know when, but he's coming back. And what we do know is when he comes, he will restore all things. That he's coming back soon. We'll look at that in just a bit. And that we're called to keep trusting in him. Look with me at Revelation 22, 1 through 21. The king is coming soon. So keep trusting in him. It'll be on the screen as well. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will, not need, they will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And He said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. 
Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me, to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs the sorcer- and sorcerers and the sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And let the one who hears say, Come. And let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I want everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Last word of the Bible is amen. Fittingly, right? So, as an outline in your bulletin, as always, we're going to look through this passage. Obviously, we're going to move through it fairly quickly. Uh, but I'm going to guess a little bit of a longer sermon this morning, trying to get through all of this. So, be ready for that. But in the beginning here, verses 1 through 5, we will have access to the tree of life. Access to the tree of life and to the king once again. Access to the tree of life and to the king once again. Uh, last week, we looked at the city, the, the heavenly city that comes down um, as the new Jerusalem, the place where God's people will dwell forever. Uh, I believe it's a symbol, but it's a beautiful symbol of where we will dwell for all eternity. Now he talks a little bit about the landscape, the landscape of this new place. He describes the river of the water of life that is crystal clean and clear. It flows out from the throne and out from the Lamb. The Lamb, of course, is a picture of Jesus Himself, the Lamb of God, the sacrifice that saves us. Uh, so what's the point here? There'll be plenty to drink, <laughs> is the basic uh, the, uh, interpretation. Uh, clean water to drink. You know, when you're really thirsty, maybe after a, a jog or something like that, you don't want a Coca-Cola. I mean, <laughs> you want a nice, clean, clear, cold glass of water. Uh, that's what he says. There will be plenty. There will be a clean spring that flows out from the throne. But of course, I think there's more to it than that. Uh, the idea here is of just like in Eden, a river flowed from Eden. Uh, this is a, a spiritual satisfaction. Uh, we will enjoy once again perfection, the beauty of God and the very presence of God together. It flows through the middle of the city. And what's on either side of this, of this thing? Just like we said, the, the river flows out of Eden. It brings us back to the Garden of Eden. So the tree of life is on either side of this as well. Brings us back right to Genesis 1 through 3. Uh, the tree of life does what? It grows fruit, 12 kinds of fruit each month. And how many months are there? 12. So 12 types of fruit each month times 12. So you have 12 and 12. 12 is a big number in the book of Revelation. Uh, it's the number of God's people, the number of Israel. So just like you have drink, you have food. God is supplying all that we need. And he throws this little line in here that the leaves are for the healing of the nations, which is an interesting phrase, right? What is he talking about there? 
Um, I think this talking about how he heals us, uh, how he uh, takes care of them. All medicine, basically, most medicine comes from leaves. I don't know, it comes from plants. Did you know that? I didn't know that until I sort of had to look it up a little bit. But uh, 74% of medicine comes from plants. 18% comes from fungi, so like mushrooms and things like that. 5% from bacteria, and 3% actually comes from animals. So that's according to the Ecology, of, uh, Ecology Society of America. So the leaves, we make teas with it. It's a, sort of the idea of, of medicine, of, of healing as well. We stay healthy. We stay whole. We stay strong for all eternity. God supplies all that we need. And as he says, we will see his face. You notice it, it's not really clear whose face he's talking about. The one who sits on the throne is both God and, it says, the Lamb. There's only one throne. They share that throne together. We see his face. I mean, we can see the physical face of Jesus, but will there be a, a spiritual sense in which we see the face of the Father? The names are written on our foreheads, just like in the, earlier in the book of Revelation. The mark of the beast, the mark of evil, is on those who don't believe on their foreheads. So here, the mark of God's people, the mark of the Lamb, is on their foreheads and light fills the entire city. Friends, I think this is some of, if not the most powerful symbolism imaginable in the entire Bible. Genesis 1-3, to the tree of life. Because Adam and Eve sinned, they died spiritually and physically, and were forbidden to have access to the tree of life. And here now, at the very end of the Bible, is what? God's people given access to the tree of life once again. Eternal life and fellowship with God. And all of this is because right in the middle of the Bible, there's another tree. It's the tree that we recognize on Good Friday. The tree that Christ paid for our sins and died our death. The whole thing is brought together in Revelation as we're brought back into the presence of God and into fellowship with Him forever. Eternity. You know, eternity, eternity is a long time. <laughs> eternity is a long time. In fact, it's, it's, it's beyond our minds. We can't even really wrap our minds around the idea of something that is infinite. Uh, you know, there's, there's no actual infinites in this world. We, we have a concept, we have a theory of infinity, but there's no such thing as an actual infinity. The closest thing you might say is the universe. But we don't really know that the universe is infinite. They just guess that it's, universe, that it's infinite. Because if you traveled infinitely, what would happen? We don't know. It's never done. How many, many of you guys may have heard about this, uh, the first sort of photo, uh, photograph of, the, of a black hole. Anyone see that? Uh, this, this was pretty cool. And I actually have a picture of it. Uh, now, in actuality, it's not a, a photograph of a black hole. Uh, because there is no such thing as a photograph of a black hole. Because there's no light in a black hole. Photograph. You're writing light. There is no light. You're seeing the absence of light in the middle of an exploding star. So actually, you're not really seeing a black hole. You're seeing the result of a black hole. Uh, but what a powerful picture. I mean, that's something that we certainly, we don't really fully understand. It's only been theory, really, until recently, until this photo. And I thought it was interesting. This is how the New York Times this week described this image. Uh, the image, I think it's, yeah, it's, in, it's up there. The image of a lopsided ring of light surrounding a dark circle deep in the heart of a galaxy known as Messier 87, some 55 million light years away from Earth, resembled the eye of Sauron. So, you know me, I'm a Tolkien fan, so I had to quote that. A reminder yet again of the implacable power of nature. Listen to the way he ends it. It is a smoke ring 
framing a one-way portal to eternity. Now, obviously, I think he doesn't know exactly. We don't know what would happen if you were sucked into a black hole. But it's interesting that he puts in there eternity. As it says in Ecclesiastes, God has put eternity in our hearts. It's there. We want to see and understand what is infinite, what is beyond anything in this world. And here he describes living in fellowship with God forever and ever and ever. Everything in this life is limited by time. Everything is in this, and that's a good thing, by the way. Uh, I don't think we really want to live forever in this world, broken as it is. Uh, All the imperfections of this world, all the sin and brokenness would only become more and more of of a difficulty towards us to the point it would just crush us if we had to live forever in a broken and fallen world. I think it would not be heaven. In fact, eventually it would be a sort of hell. Um, just as a kind of a funny illustration, anyone like the movie Groundhog's Day? It's one of my favorite, favorite movies. He lives the same day over and over and over and over again. And it becomes a sort of hell for him to have to live in that eternity. In fact, so much so that Harold Ramis, the director, the guy that plays Egon in Ghostbusters, but um, he originally said he's trapped there for 10,000 years. That was his original plan for the movie. And then he realized that's just too long, so he changed it to 10 years. <laughs> Because, you know, if you were trapped in the same day over and over for 10,000 years, you would be a basket case. You would be crazy and out of your mind. You would not be healthy like he is at the end of the movie. Because forever in this world would be terrible. A fountain of youth in this world would not be a good thing. But he's talking about a forever in a good and perfect world in which we are in the presence of God. Something that is both good and eternal. Imagine, friends, what it's like to live in a healthy relationship with God. Say, we're, we're, everything we do, everything we do is limited by time in this world. I have a funeral to attend tomorrow. I have a funeral to uh, officiate a week from then, and a wedding in between. Everything we do is limited. It's a reminder that everything is limited by time. I think it was Alistair Begg that said, the constant reminder of our mortality and our limitedness is what we wear on our wrist which I don't wear a watch, so it's actually what's in our pocket, our iPhone, right? Time. Everything we do is limited by time. Even all the good things. You know, vacations. I love a good vacation. (laughs) But you know that a vacation has to come to an end. Uh, Raising kids. You get about 18 years, that's it. And then what? They're off and they're going and you have a relationship with them still, but they're adults out there in the world. It's limited. When you have a blessed season of life, which I think I'm going through right now, it doesn't always last. It comes to an end. Retirement. You know, people work their entire life to get to retirement, and then retirement lasts what? 20 years, maybe? Marriage. Not only do marriages sometimes end in divorce, but even in this life, they end in death of one partner or the other. We get a little taste of eternity sometimes. A, a powerful prayer meeting <laughs> or a worship service on a Sunday morning which you can just sense the Spirit of God is present and working. But even those, they come and go. Like I said about seasons of life, right, right now I feel like these are the best years of ministry. I've been your, your pastor for eight years and this is the best year so far. So I'll just tell you that. These are, these are great. But I know it's all temporary and all will eventually come to an end. 
but he describes a day in which there is no end. We're with him forever. He uses these symbols of water, food, and medicine. There's no thirst, there's no hunger, there's no sickness. We are alive and we are healthy and we are strong forever in his presence. And I would just say by way of application, friends, use this time well. It's not going to last. So use it well. Recognize that it's temporary. Use that family time well. Those kids will not be there for long. They will be out and going in life. Use it well. Work hard at your job, but play hard at home as well. Pray. And friends, I would just say forgive too. Forgive. There's no time for bitterness. I had mentioned before that I got a chance to meet with the, chap- the hospital guy that's in charge of the hospital chaplaincy at Dana-Farber Cancer Institute. And somebody, one of the people in person in our group asked him, uh, what, did, what is the one thing that people regret the most? at the end of their life. So this guy probably has hundreds of examples of, of counseling people at the end of life. And he's thought for a second, didn't take him that long, and he said, most of them wish they would forgive a family member or friend earlier. That they didn't wait until the last minute to reconcile that relationship. Time is temporary. We'll have access to the tree of life in which time will have no more significance to us and to the king again. Verses 6 to 13, we should eagerly anticipate the king's return soon. Soon. That's what he says, specifically, that he's coming back and he's coming soon. Uh, Jesus here, and this is, verse, as I said, uh, verses 6 to 13 here, he tells us that Jesus is coming soon. He, he said that the book of Revelation here is written uh, to show us what must soon take place. What soon takes place. So the revelation is in some ways happening right now. Uh, much of what's written in this book is described of, of how we're living in a world that is against us in some ways. Uh, I was interested to learn that um, in some parts of the world, uh, the book of Revelation is forbidden. It's banned. Or at least it's regulated. Uh, pastors aren't allowed to teach it. <laughs> because it, 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 people know it's speaking into the world in which we live right now. And it's speaking against worldly powers at work in our world. Uh, it also describes, of course, this coming end. Uh, this hope of eternity. But notice he says it's coming soon. He says it over and over again. Can't get around it. Verse 6, he says, this will soon take place. Verse 7, verse 12, verse 20. Jesus says, I am coming soon. Verse 10, the time is near. In fact, he says this kind of, uh, this may have been a, a tricky phrase for you. He says, let the evildoer just keep doing evil. Let the filthy keep being filthy. Let the righteous do righteous and the holy still be holy. He said, what is that? Is he commanding People who are in sin to continue in sin, well, obviously, read it in its context, its rhetoric. He's saying the time is short. The time is short. He's coming back at any point in time. If you've committed to doing evil, it's, it just go ahead and finish. I have ever had a, a professor one time, and it was towards the uh, end, you know, the time for our big final exam. And he said, look, if you haven't been following uh, this class and you haven't been keeping up, don't bother studying. Just go ahead and go to the beach. <laughs> Relax, enjoy your last day, because it's too late anyway. <laughs> that was kind of the point here. He's saying the time is short. Get with it. Recognize how soon it is. And when Jesus comes, he brings his recompenses, repayment. Our works don't save us, but they do affect all eternity. Of course, the question then is, what does he mean by soon? <laughs> uh, this was written 2,000 years ago. So that doesn't sound very soon, does it? I mean, what does he mean then, if he's coming soon? And people have, throughout history, tried to predict the day of Jesus' coming, make guesses. Some have even taught that it's going to be this certain year, this certain time and season. Um, It's not a good idea. 
Jesus said nobody knows the time of the day. Even in his earthly ministry, he said he didn't know. Only the Father knows the day or the time of Christ's return. But the church has always lived with a sense that it could be any time. Could be today. Could be tomorrow. I mean, how soon is soon for God? Right? I mean, is 3,000 years soon? <laughs> God's perspective is different than ours. But the idea is that we are always ready. In fact, in Peter, it tells us, don't understand, God, doesn't, God is not slow in fulfilling his return. He's patient, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to eternal life. So every day he waits is a day in which he's patiently waiting to draw more people to himself. But each generation that has read the book of Revelation has asked this question, will he return in my life? We live in the light of his imminent return. It could happen today. His return is near because it's imminent. It could happen today. It could happen tomorrow. What would it matter? If we really took this seriously, really lived in the light of the fact that he could return today. I think one thing it would do, it it would make us hold lighter to our possessions. Uh, It would make us think less of our stuff. Money wouldn't be as significant as we make it to be, would it? I mean, if we know that it could be tomorrow, in which it would make no difference. There's an an old joke about a rich man who was a Christian, and he loved his gold, and he wanted to bring a bag of his gold to heaven. Uh, And, uh, you know, he was told, of course, you can't bring your wealth into heaven. He said, maybe you could just bend the rules this one time, all right? So God lets him bend the rules this one time, and he shows up at the pearly gates, with his bag full of gold, and uh, Peter stops him and says, what's in the bag? And he opens it up, and he said, what did you bring pavement for? Because <laughs> the streets are made of gold. Why did you bring cement? That's the idea. It has no value in eternity. That did not, that did not make you laugh as much as I thought it would there. So, but anyway. <laughs> but everything in this life, all our possessions are temporary. We store up treasures in heaven, that which would last. I'd also say, hold tighter to people. That which will last beyond death. Love them and enjoy them and witness to those who don't know the Lord Jesus yet. That's the only thing really in this life which will last beyond the line of death. Worship God. Focus on knowing Him. Get to know God more. Uh, Friends, if you don't love God in this life, I don't think heaven would be heaven for you. Heaven would not be what you think it is. Heaven is the place where God is everywhere and present with us. And we enjoy his presence for all eternity. Friends, if you know that Christ could return today, tomorrow, you would turn away from whatever pet sins you're toying with. You'd seek to know the Bible more. You'd pray more often. It comes like a thief in the night. We don't know when the master returns. He's coming soon. 14 to 17, we should go to the king now and call others to come. Call others to come. Look what he says here. The king encourages people to come, to come. Uh, He says here, blessed are those who wash their robes. And actually, it's interesting, and I know we didn't do the entire book of Revelation, but there are seven blessings, seven, they're called Beatitudes, just like in the book of Matthew. Seven blessings throughout the book of Revelation. This is the final and the last one. And I actually have... Uh, All seven. I think it's just neat to read them. I think we'll have them on the screen. First one comes in chapter 1, verse 3. Blessed uh, is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. That's the first blessing. Those who read this book, you're blessed to hear it. 
Second one is Revelation 14, 13. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds follow them. So blessed are those who die in Christ. Verse, uh, Revelation 16, 15 is the third one. Behold, I am coming like a thief. Blessed is the one who stays awake, keeping his garments on, that he may not go about naked and be seen exposed. In other words, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, ready for his return. Fourth, Revelation 19, 9, write this. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. We looked at that at the beginning of this series. Revelation 20, verse 6, is the fifth one. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power, but they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. Which I believe, of course, I had mentioned the first resurrection is when we die in our spirits to go to be with him. And then 6, 22, 7, Behold, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. And then 7, the one we just read, the way he ends this book, blessed are those who wash their robes, meaning their sin-stained clothing, so that they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by its gates. Friends, those who are in Christ, who look to what we'll celebrate, remember, on Good Friday, is the sacrifice for our sins. Those who look to that, you are blessed. Friends, he's described, Jesus describes himself looking at the past, the root of David, the fulfillment of all the prophecy, the Messiah that was to come, and then looking to the future, the bright morning star. That's what is on the rise right now for an eternal future with his people. He ends here this section by saying, the spirit and the bride say come. Why those two? Well, the spirit is the presence of God with his people. And the bride is the church, God's people. So what is this? The spirit of the bride, the spirit-empowered church of God here, says come. Our job is to invite, is to welcome people, welcome the nations, welcome everyone to come and to freely enjoy God's grace, the spring of the water of life. The emphasis here is that there is still time. It's coming soon, but it's not time yet. So come, open to everyone who would Come. The Christian faith right now is open. It's a welcome. It's an invitation. All people with all backgrounds from all locales around the world are welcome to come right now to Jesus. And friends, it's very important that we have this general call open to everyone. Anyone who would come to Jesus can be saved. And I know some people here are, are Calvinist in their beliefs, and I lean in that direction, but understand there's a difference between the secret call of God, the inner work of God, and the general call of God. The general call goes out to everyone. Uh, I, I remember I had a friend who's Calvinist who said, oh, I don't invite people to receive Jesus. Well, Jesus did. <laughs> he invited people to receive him, anyone who would come. Now, it's been described this way. It's like a gate. Imagine on the outside of the gate it says, Anyone and everyone is welcome to come. And then when you walk through the gate, on the other side of the gate, you look at the sign and it says, chosen before the foundation of the earth. <laughs> right, on the outside, everyone's welcome. But on the inside is only where we see the sovereign hand of God, chosen before the foundation of the world. But the call goes out to everyone. Friends, there's no limit. God doesn't put a limit on us in terms of the invitation. Uh, just as a way of illustration, as I said, we have the Seder meal, 
We put a maximum amount. How many people can we fit in our fellowship hall? It was 120. I don't think any of us thought we were going to reach 120. We reached it and then some. And now we have a, a, a waiting list. You know, we don't want to turn anybody away. But the gate of heaven is open to anyone who would come. There is no waiting list. Anyone who comes to Christ is welcome from every tongue and tribe and nation in the earth. In fact, the church's mission is to go to the nations and invite them. Share this good news. It's worth suffering and dying for to make sure people hear this news. To go and tell them. Friend, let's be a church that invites the Spirit and the Bride together. God's Spirit among us as the church. Let's be a church that invites. Let's be a church that says, come and see. Come and see. So all are welcome here. doesn't matter how you dress. It doesn't matter what hair color you are. You've got blue hair, purple hair, whatever. Everyone's welcome. It doesn't matter how quirky your personality is. You are welcome here. And brother, we need to understand that. When people show up here on a Sunday morning, don't worry about their, how they dress or how they look or whatever. We're just happy that they're here. They're joining us for worship. If someone comes, friends, we want to make sure they feel like they're supposed to be here. Because they are supposed to be here. Uh, hopefully, friends, Easter uh, is next week. Hopefully you've invited some folks. Uh, Easter is a day that people are, are more likely to say yes, to come. Um, hopefully we come. Every Sunday is an opportunity to invite. But it's not just come and see, it's go and tell. Uh, we don't just have to wait until somebody shows up on a Sunday morning. Uh, we need to be more and more out there to tell them. And they say nowadays in the United States, because culture is changing, less and less people just show up on a Sunday morning. Now the importance to go out there into the community and actually talk to people and share the good news is all the more important. Being involved in our community and the events in our city that love people enough to get uncomfortable and share good news with them. In 18 to 21, we should think often of the Christian hope of heaven. Think often of the Christian hope of heaven. He gives us a final warning. <laughs> Pretty harsh warning, actually. Uh, he, remember, this book starts with a blessing. Those who read this book, it's a blessing, he says, right from the beginning of the Bible, a uh, reading of the book of Revelation. But he ends with a warning. Don't add and don't take away from this book. <laughs> don't add to this book. God's word is complete. With the ending of the book of Revelation, there are 66 books in the Bible, it's finished. Don't add to his word. And there have been groups that have tried to add certain things to the Bible over the years many, many times. And don't take away from it. <laughs> Revelation, uh, and really I think this is a reference to the whole Bible, because he's actually referring to Deuteronomy. It's a similar passage in Deuteronomy. The whole Bible is complete. And don't take away from what's there. And that's important not only in terms of actually taking something out of the Bible, as some people did. Thomas Jefferson did that, by the way. He said, there's certain things in the Bible we don't need. Basically ripped out the pages and said, get rid of those, keep all the moral stuff, and then we're good. Uh, don't take away uh, from the scriptures, but also when you teach it. I had mentioned before, I don't like preaching on certain things. I have no great love to preach on judgment and hell, but I'm responsible to you and really ultimately to God to teach the whole counsel of God, which includes his righteous judgment on sin and the eternal state for those who rebel and reject him to the end. He ends the book with a prayer. Come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> Amen. Amen means let it be so, Lord. 
And friends, those are the only the final, amen is not only the final words of Revelation, the final words of the entire Bible. Let it be so. And hopefully, friends, this is our prayer today too. Come, Lord Jesus. The hope of heaven, friends. I, I, I think, uh, I've enjoyed this series here on Revelation, but it seems like, from my perspective, this is maybe more anecdotal, but it seems like that the return of Christ is a neglected part of Christian teaching. We don't talk a lot about the end and the return of Christ in heaven. Uh, and maybe one reason is because, especially here in the United States, we're very comfortable in this world. <laughs> we got a lot of stuff. We got great health care. Things are going really well. We don't need to think too much about heaven. We got a little bit of our own heaven here. And I would say, friends, for those in Christ, the more you come to know him, the more this world loses its flavor. It loses its enticement, its charm, its magic, its draw. And the more beautiful it seems that we get to be with Jesus in the end. The best is yet to come. It's far better than anything we have now. Friends, think often of the hope of heaven. How do you do that? First of all, read the Bible. If you read the Bible on your own, you're not going to miss it. It's all over the place in the Bible. We just had a new members class, and one of the things we said is, read the Bible on your own. Test even what every preacher says from the pulpit by reading it for yourself. If you disagree because you yourself read it in the Bible, good. Stick to the scriptures. Don't listen to anyone, even me, over what the Bible has to say. Spend more time in prayer. Um, if you really want to have a better taste of heaven, spend time in prayer and enjoy prayer because that's what heaven is, internal fellowship with God. And I would say let life push you there. Push your attention, your mind, your heart there. Every sickness, every celebration, every birth, every funeral, let it be a reminder that this day is coming. All in God's time. Especially Easter. As every Easter goes by, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And what is that? The first fruits of the resurrection to come. Jesus said his resurrection is the first fruits of what's to be for all those who are in him. As he is risen, so all those in Christ will one day rise. The king is coming soon. So keep on trusting in him. You know, uh, time really does go by faster the older you get. So all of you guys who are older than me, you were right. I have no problem saying it. <laughs> You've always been saying, hey, time goes by a lot older, uh, go by a lot faster when you get older. You're absolutely right, it does. It seems like it is starting to fly by. <laughs> maybe it's just perception, and maybe it just feels relative. I don't know. I'm 40 now, and time is going by fast. It goes by so fast with your kids. My son is heading to college. I can't believe I've been your pastor here for eight years as the lead guy, six years before that, two years as a youth pastor before that. We've seen so many people come and go, whether they've moved away or passed away and gone on to glory. I look back and realize how much has happened <laughs> over these years. I look forward to all that God is going to do in the years to come. And I know that the day will come when it's all done. And what I would say is, come Lord Jesus, I'm ready. The king came once to old Jerusalem, and the people laid their palm branches, but he's coming again. 
bringing Jerusalem with him. Would you pray with me? Gracious Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the power of the revealed word of God, the power of the gospel of Christ. Not only, Lord, not only have you wiped away our sins that we can live without guilt or shame, but you have set before us a feast of blessings for all eternity. Thank you for the constant reminder, Lord, that your word is trustworthy and true. This is not a vain hope. This is your certain promise that those who are in Christ will enjoy your presence forever. Father, I do pray for any here who maybe are still thinking through their faith, not sure what they believe, maybe are are still trusting that they are good enough, righteous enough, live good enough lives for you. May they see not only their sin, as all of us should see clearly, but also your grace found in Jesus. Lord, thank you so much that this week, even as every week we, in some sense we celebrate, this week we remember specifically Christ's sacrifice for us on the cross to redeem sinners and his triumph over the grave and the resurrection. May every Easter we celebrate, Lord, be a reminder of this day, Revelation 22, in which we will be with you forever. We pray this in the name of our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's stand together.